Welcome to CineSoul. On today's episode, we discuss the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which garnered several Academy Award nominations and an Oscar for lead actress Frances McDormand and supporting actor Sam Rockwell. It's the story of Mildred, whose daughter has been brutally murdered, and seven months later, there are no leads in the investigation to find the killer. Mildred's anguish leads her to take drastic measures. It's a complex film with difficult emotions and relationships. Today, my guest is Steve Reed, a friend who works for an air quality control nonprofit and has been a friend for many, many years. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Jorge. Good to be here. Glad you are. I'm excited to talk about this film, which was really hard for me to watch, to be honest. It was harsh at at points, yeah. It was harsh. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. We've had two official complaints about those billboards. From who? The more you keep a case in the public eye, the better your chances are getting it solved. And when I see the sign... You know, if you hadn't stopped coming to church, you'd have a little bit more understanding of people's feelings. All this anger, man. It just begets greater anger. Let's talk a little bit about the setting. You know, I'm assuming Ebbing is a fictional town. I'm not sure. I've not heard of it. I've not heard of it. Heretofore, so... I I think there'd be a lot of lawsuits if it wasn't, but uh, but I'm sure it it's you know it's supposed to be a typical small uh, southern town. Missouri certainly uh, some aspects of Missouri are very southern, right? And I know when you and I were talking about possibly doing this this uh, podcast, one of the things that seemed to resonate for you was uh, some of the things in this setting kind of brought to mind some of the settings that you grew up in when you were a kid. Tell us about your upbringing. Tell us about where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in a little town in West Tennessee, not too far from Missouri. They are actually border states. Right. Uh, the boot heel of Missouri barely touches Tennessee, but so they're technically border states. It counts. It counts. Um, and uh, the setting was very familiar. I mean, the the geography of it was very familiar to me. You know, the the accents, the pace of life. You know, the the way people spoke to each other was very familiar. And you know, I I haven't spent a lot of time in the South since I moved away after college. But um, you know, that's certainly where I grew up and where my roots are. And so it, it I guess it brought back a lot of the feeling of being back there, but also reminded me why. I no longer live there, <laughs> perhaps in a sense. Um, and yeah, and I think I've had sort of a complicated and, you know, evolving um, relationship with my roots. And so I think it brought some of that up for me as well. To right. Me, you know, sort of think about people I grew up with and you know, where are they now and um, maybe how can I find a more sympathetic side of him. Like you're talking about officer Dixon, you know, that the film right. really kind of brought out, you know, these different dimensions of who he was and, yeah. you know, being open to that, that, you know, a lot of the people maybe I grew up with that I wouldn't agree with on a lot of things. Now, you know, there's different sides to that. There's reasons they think what they do or do what they do. Right. You know? Yeah. So were there any characters in the film that reminded you specifically of, you know, I don't want to necessarily say friends of yours or people that you knew, but, you know, 
people around the town or sort of indicative of the, what the town? Oh, yeah. I mean, like? I think, you know, the Woody Harrelson character, Chief Willoughby, very much, um, you know, every small town in the South, it may not be the police chief, but, you know, there's it could be the high school principal or the mayor or some pastor, you know, there, but there's somebody like that in every town who's just sort of the, you know, good natured, respected, you know, well-loved figure that, you know, kind of walks around having this, you know, sort of banter with everyone and has nicknames for everyone and kind of the Andy um, Griffith. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of character. And, you know, there were certainly a number of people like that in my hometown that you would see, you know, at school or at church and just, you know, these, you know, sort of good old boy types that, like I say, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody loved and, and got along with more or less. And, you know, you sort of see that in the chief Willoughby that he, you know, you got the sense that he maybe turned a blind eye to Mm. certain things and, you know, um, you know, particularly Dixon's racism and and violence, you know, he sort of turned a blind eye to that and he was not probably, you know, guiltless in how he, you know, approached his job and his life. But at the same time, you know, just a decent, likable right. guy, you know, humorous just, guy. yeah, humorous guy. You know, he, you know, he, he kind of laughed at himself as well as, you know, other people in other situations. And, you know, you almost couldn't help but like him and how he interacted with his family and his kids. And, but, you know, at the same time, you had to say, well, boy, you know, should we expect a little more from this guy at the mm-hmm. same time? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, looking back at maybe people I grew up with at teachers or, you know, pastors or what have you, just thinking, yeah, they were great people in one sense. And at the time, I certainly thought so. Mm-hmm. But looking back, you know, should I have expected a little more mm-hmm. from them? And, you know, were they sort of a product of their time and place or were there ways maybe they could have risen above that better or, you yeah. know, that, that sort of thing? Yeah. Especially for for Willoughby's character, you know, the last we hear of him is this sort of the narrator of the letters he's written to mm-hmm. his wife and to Mildred and, and to Dixon. And he seems a, a much deeper and much more profound character than we've been right. allowed to see while he's been alive. Right. So I, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh, the chief if he could have lived up to being the person who wrote those letters more than what we saw, maybe he'd had a different kind of life. But, hmm. and I, I think one of the things that I, that I noticed throughout the films about the sort of culture there is this. Uh, and, and this comes for me, this comes from never having lived in the South. I've visited the South. I have some relatives that uh, live in the South and I've, vacationed, if you will, through the South, but never really having to live there on any kind of a day-to-day basis. But there seemed to be, certainly beyond the obvious racism of Officer Dixon in his actions, in his words, and in his conversations with his mother, Mm -hmm. but throughout the town, there seemed to be kind of this pervasive, I guess I'd call it racism. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You know no that question. that it had that sort of subtly showed its face almost in every situation. And is is that is that your experience growing up in? Oh yeah, very much so. And and I don't know what it's like now, but I think there was certainly an undercurrent of racism, and in fact, there was overt mm-hmm. racism that was very much 
taken for granted, institutionalized. Mm-hmm. You know, the high school I went to was probably something like three quarters white, one quarter black, something like that, mm-hmm. you know, along those lines. And, you know, you go in the cafeteria at lunchtime and it was 100% segregated. Mm-hmm. There were this corner with these three tables was the, you know, the black area and the rest of the white people sat everywhere else. And mm-hmm. there was zero crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom drove a school bus and her part of her bus route went through, you know, part of town where a lot of the the black families lived. And so she had kind of a mixed bus, which was a little unusual. And, you know, the way kids sat on the bus, it wasn't forced, but it was just sort of known like, oh, yeah, you sit here and we sit over here. And and certainly church was the most segregated place. Um, You know, I grew up in this local, you know, Southern Baptist, First Baptist Church and zero interracial, you know, congregants. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the funny thing was we had these Wednesday night fellowship meals where people would come and, you know, you'd have a meal together. And then there was like a brief little service or singing afterwards. And um, the people who cooked the meal back in the kitchen were all African-American, mm. but they would not have been allowed to attend a service there. And so it was okay or partake for the, in the meal or partake in the meal, you know, God forbid. Yeah. And that was just how it was. And, you know, people yeah. would have said, well, you know, the, it's not that we hate them or we dislike them, but, you know, they have their churches and we have ours and they have their part of town and yeah. we have ours and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and we wish them well. And I think that would have been sort of the veneer, but, you know, underneath that, mm-hmm. there was um, more overt, racism and occasionally violence and, and certainly derogatory comments and words. And, you know, it was in jokes, right. Was just, you know, ubiquitous. Um, and that was just how it was. And, you know, I think my parents, my dad was from Minnesota. And so this was all sort of new to him. And, you know, both of my parents, even though my mom was from the South, I think she had traveled a lot you know, she had lived in Chicago and Puerto Rico and all these other places with my dad. And so I think she had a more open Broader kind of worldview. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they both taught me, like, you know, look, you're no better or worse than anybody else. I don't want to ever hear you talking like these people talk. And, you know, they didn't make a huge deal out of it, but it was just sort of like, no, you know, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, and I can remember asking my mom, like, well, you know, why aren't there any black people in our church? You know, and she would just kind of laugh, like, well, you know, that's not happening. You know, yeah. You know, um, and, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah. You know, she didn't really make a big deal of it. But she just said, you know, there would be a, you know, apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. You know, a black person walked into her. You know, they wouldn't say anything in the moment. But they, they would right, let right. that person know in no uncertain terms right. after the service ended that, you know, you've got your church. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, that did happen one time. Is I remember. Right? Yeah. And my mom told me about it. Years later, I mean, I didn't have any conscious memory, but she described to me an incident where that had happened when I was an adult and said, yeah, yeah one time somebody came into a Christmas service and saw an ad like in the paper or something and came in and afterwards they were told in no uncertain terms, you know, this isn't for you. So, yeah, it was, I think I just sort of grew up and that was just, you just sort of accepted that was sort of how it was. And then, you know, when I began to live in other places and move to California, I just realized, Oh, <laughs> it's not how it is. That's it, not how it is. It doesn't and, have to be how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and again, I, you know, I think things have probably changed some in the intervening, you know, 30 years, but I, I'm certain there's still yeah a great deal of that. Yeah. You know, where I grew up and in Missouri and places like that, the yeah. more rural places for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
the place is slower to change, I suppose. Yeah, maybe some of the bigger cities, you know, Atlanta or Memphis or whatever, it's yeah. less prevalent. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, not that, you know, less prevalent, let's call it, but certainly not. You know, there's no there's no sign that there's no racism in this country. So we see it every day. Right. Uh, but I, I just felt like watching the film, maybe my antenna is a little up because of, you know, at this moment of social consciousness we're at in, in this country right now. But I just felt like that was kind of a undergirding of things that were happening in the movie. Yeah, and I I know the movie wasn't about that. I, mean, I almost felt like they could have maybe done a little more yeah. with that. And I don't know if they said it in Missouri, you know, if that was coincidental or with all the Ferguson and everything that's right. gone on there in recent years, if that was intentional. Um, but it, it was sort of left as, you know, as sort of you said, it's just part of the culture and you sort of saw glimpses of it, but right. it was not really directly addressed as a major theme. And, you yeah. know, maybe that's okay, but, yeah. you know... Maybe that's a different film. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, I also felt like there seems to be this thematic thrust in the film about, and I think one of the characters even mentions it. The whole little, little scene where they talk about anger begets anger, mm-hmm. or maybe that, maybe if I'm remembering it wrong, I, I thought about violence beget violence, mm-hmm. and that's. That's certainly the action of the film, mm-hmm. and and boy, I, I just you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily the filmmaker was trying to shove that down our throats because it, it's a very complex and complicated set of characters and motivations and and story. It's nothing simple, mm-hmm. but I sort of felt like the whole point was here's a woman who's so broken by her daughter's death and and in the flashback scenes that we see about what led up to the day that she died i mean mildred just has to be consumed by Mm self-loathing about the last things that she said to her daughter uh and the the last interaction she had which her with her which was basically an argument yes you know, so I'm I'm sympathetic to the emotional state that Mildred is in, and as we see her, as we're introduced to her, and we get to know her. Yeah, I think you know, I, I definitely saw that theme in there as well. There was certainly a lot of violence, um, you know, on her part and mm-hmm. Dick's and other characters. You know, just mm-hmm. throughout the film, there just seemed to be a lot of you know her ex-husband and yeah. And also, you know, a lot of anger that I guess was sort of behind that or, or fueling that. Um, and and I sort of had mixed emotions about that because on the one hand, I felt like there was something about her anger that was really noble, mm-hmm. admirable in a way. Mm-hmm. And and you stop and think like, well, maybe sometimes things don't change until people get angry enough, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. you, know, we, you know, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, like the Parkland. Yeah. There's been all these school shootings and it seems like afterwards there's a lot of mourning and sadness. But this time there was a lot of anger. There was yeah. just like, we're, we're not taking this anymore. Yeah. The, you know, we deserve something better than this, than being afraid to go to school, you know. And, and that, I don't know that anything dramatic will change, but it seems like there's more momentum. There's more change happening in the wake of that. And it yeah. seems to be fueled by this anger that, yeah. you know, you listen to those students and they're, 
they're mad. You yeah. know? Like, and legitimately and so. Legitimately so yeah, they should be. Yeah. They should be. We should all be mad. Yeah. And so on the one hand, you sort of think, yeah, you know, she, you know, her daughter had this horrible murder and experience and nothing's happened. And, you know, the police are doing all this other crazy stuff. And, yeah, she should be mad, you know, and she should be trying to push back on that. But as you said, you know, it sort of comes out in ways that become more and more destructive. But yeah, I think especially the, like the firebombing of the yeah the police did. Yeah, it's like okay, she the dentist and she you know yeah. hit his thumb with the you know yeah. drill and you know some of that you're kind of like okay, yeah, I could kind of see that. <laughs> but yeah. it, but when she you know firebombed the police, you thought wow, that's really yeah over the top. And then that was sort of like a turning point, I think, for Dixon that he began to kind of rise above some of his worst inclinations and he, you know, he rescued the folder, mm-hmm. you know, the dossier with mm-hmm. all of the evidence yeah. on, on her daughter's murder. And he began to really pursue like this one suspect, even though he wasn't on the police force, you know, so he sort of, it sort of pushed him to yeah. make some changes and, you know, maybe find, you know, the better angels of his nature or yeah. what have you. Um, yeah. Well, and at least, you know, towards the very end, the, I think the very last scene where uh, Dixon and, and Mildred are riding off in her station wagon to pursue this quote unquote suspect in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mildred confesses that it was her that firebombed the police station. He already knew. Yeah. You he know, didn't really and, care. <laughs> and, and yeah. And his, his lack of vengefulness about that, Right. That has left him scarred. Oh yeah, you know, for yeah. life. Yeah, I think showed a measure of change, and and maybe that the cycle of violence was not going to be continued by him. And the way that they that last scene left us very open ended about whether or not mm-hmm. they were even going to complete their quote unquote mission. Right. You know that they might. You know, what does she say? We'll just let's just keep going. We'll, we can always decide on the way. Yeah, I, I really like that ending a lot. I think it it did leave it open ended that yeah, you know, they might yeah, they might get there and you know do this guy in <laughs> yeah, or they might decide on the way you know yeah maybe we've, this isn't going to serve any purpose and right. what what are we doing yeah um, but you don't know you and, don't know and and given those characters it, you had the sense kind of it could go either way <laughs> yeah that's true um, yeah I guess I guess I'm choosing to to hope that that's what happened and to leave, you know, leave me feeling with a, a little more sense of hope than dread about them going, you know, them the continu- continuing the violence and just continuing to perpetuate. Mm. But I still worry about her son more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and he was, you know, he was probably one of the more stable yeah. characters. I mean, he seemed like in the midst of all this going on around him, he was just sort of like trying to yeah. be a normal kid and, get through it all yeah. with some degree of, you know, dignity. Yeah. And, in, and somewhat by kind of trying to shut out maybe some of the, the details of her, right. Yeah, of his sister's murder. And now he knows and, and he's just been trying to maintain and who knows how healthy that is uh, and what ramifications that might have in his emotional state and behavior as his life goes on outside the scope of the film. You know, the only flashback scene we see about the daughter that's been killed is uh, a, a really profoundly 
uh, deep argument. Yeah, a nasty one. Yeah. That the that the three of them is sort of involved in in some way, shape, or form. Even the jokes that they share with each other, or the you would think tension relieving, jokey things that one intends when they say those things to each other, didn't relieve any tension at all. Just added to it and and made it worse and so so that whole that whole sense of violence pervades i think most of the film for me yeah and it's tough to watch yeah and, and you know with the sun too I, I can't think of a specific example but i i did get the sense that even though he was just horrified at this whole situation in the billboards and how everybody was talking about it that he did admire his mom at some level, like, wow, you know, she's, you know, she's going after this, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, she's not somebody to be trifled with, yeah. you know? And I think he, maybe it was like at the high school scene when those kids threw something at her and she went over and, you know, kicked them in the crotch. Right. You know, he kind of had a smirk as I recall, like, well, you messed with the wrong person. <laughs> uh, well, he knew even before he left the car. He yeah. Was like, like this is a mom. Go well. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you got the sense that he, you know, he, he admired her strength and willingness to sort of stand alone, even though it was hurting him, yeah. you know, and making life difficult for him. He was yeah. trying to kind of, okay, I, I, you know, she needs to do this at some level. And, yeah. and so, you know, it sort of gets back to that whole anger discussion of just, you know, there was something admirable about it, even though it did create yeah. a lot of havoc and a lot of um, yeah. destruction. Um, at the core, you know, you have somebody who is willing to go against that. You know, this is, you know, small town. Everybody knows everybody. You don't yeah. want to alienate people because you got to live with them, you know, yeah. in close quarters. Yeah. And, yeah. And for her just to be willing to kind of say, you know, screw it. I'm going to do what I got to do mm-hmm. for my daughter mm-hmm. was something I think he, he could understand or connect with. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even admire, as you mm-hmm. say. So is there anything else about the, the culture. I mean, we didn't see a whole lot other than the dentist's pushback. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a whole lot of how the community was reacting mm-hmm. to uh, to Mildred and her choices. The school kids, maybe, throwing the can and then, you know, she attacks them. Uh, but how, how, do, how do you think the town would have been responding? Like you said, everybody knows each other. Well, I think it was probably what you picked up on, I think is probably more or less how things would have played out. You know, people are sympathetic, obviously, to her and this loss. Um, and as long as she's sort of this grieving mother, then that's great. She's going to be this, you know, subject right. of sympathy. And But I think when she began to um, sort of act out in ways that were not expected and maybe not as polite or within the norms for that role of the grieving mother, then people began to get upset with her and more and more side with the police and say, yeah, you know, they're doing the best they can. This guy's got cancer and he's a family man and, you know, all this. Right. And I think that's sort of where the dentist was coming from of, you know, we need to protect the chief. Right. um, From you. Right. Essentially. Uh, He's doing the best he can, you know, given the circumstance. And maybe he was, you know, I I don't know. So, yeah, I think that was probably pretty accurate. You know, everybody knew her. Everybody knew him, you know, the chief. Um, you know, the, you know, small towns are a small world. And, yeah. you know, when things happen, I think there's sort of a role you're expected to play. And, 
you just go along with that, mm. you know, and maybe in, you know, privacy of your home, you feel right. differently or act differently, but right. you, know, you try not to show that. Yeah. But she wasn't going to play that role. You yeah. Know? Maybe she had been, who knows? Yeah. At some point. But yeah. by the time we, we, the movie mm. starts, she's done with that. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you feel walking away from the film, like, or as, as you've been able to process it since, since watching it, did you feel a sense of, I don't know, hope? Yeah, I think it ended on, you know, sort of a quasi-hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> note, um, given the whole arc of the film and how dark a lot of it was. Um, I think just the two of them, you know, Dixon and Mildred sort of being in the car on this trip together and him sort of laughingly, you know, acknowledge like, well, yeah, of course, you. who else would have done it, right. you know, and he didn't care. You know, I mean, he cared, but he, yeah. you know, it didn't prevent him from being on this trip with her. Right. And helping her. Yeah, what a contrast to his reaction where he goes upstairs and beats right, up right. the uh, advertising uh, character, Red, Red yeah. throws him out the window, comes downstairs and beats him up again in front of the new chief police. Yeah, and, and I think that was sort of in response to him hearing yeah. that the chief had died, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. You're So, right. you know, that really hit him, and I yeah. think that's how he responded to it. Yeah. But, but then, you know, getting burnt almost beyond recognition, and he responds very differently you know, yeah. in the end. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, showed him as a full character. He he just wasn't this, you know, as you said in the very beginning, he just right. wasn't this sort of small town bumbling, yeah. racist sheriff. I mean, he was, but yeah. he was more. <laughs> but he was that. more than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it sort of made me think a little bit about my responses to you know, where I grew up and people I still know from there. And um, I think with all the Trump stuff, you know, this is getting into a whole other kettle of fish that you can edit out. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think I, when Trump was elected, I felt a tremendous amount of anger about that sure. in, in the direction that our country seemed to be going in. And my home state overwhelmingly voted for him. Right. You know, unapologetically. Um and I, it just made me feel like, oh, it made me feel ashamed to be mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I've been trying to sort of step back from that and say, you know, there's reasons people do what they do. And, yeah. you know, these people I grew up with are decent people and they give you the shirt off their back and they're, you know, they care about their families. and But they just view the world very differently than I do. Yeah. And trying to maybe have some more understanding or sympathy for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, feeling like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I should be kind of pissed. <laughs> yeah. Um, at some of the stuff that's going on yeah. and we all should be. Yeah. And, um, and maybe nothing's going to happen differently until we, you know, begin to right. act out and take that and, motivation yeah. and, and make choices about it. So, it, so I think, you know, that that's where I'm sort of sitting with it of mm-hmm. what do I do with all of that? You know, cause I, I do mm-hmm. want to, yeah sort of, you know, speak out for the things I believe in, the values that I have. But at the same time, I want to try to be open-minded and say, well, you know, there's, like I said earlier, people do things for a reason and they have their, I might not agree with those reasons or right. understand all of them, but they have them right. that are to them very important and valid. But it just, um, you know, we, we just seem so divided as a country and, you know, I, I don't know how we, come back together yeah you know again in the film they sort of at the end there there was a hint that you know a couple of characters that have been in odds were kind of coming together right so um you know there was that hope but yeah 
it's harder to see how that happens on a larger scale. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, as, as like, like you're struggling with, I'm struggling with very much the sense of how do I respond in this current uh, society and this culture that we're living in now where, where I too have a lot of anger over mm-hmm. the, the, the situation and a desire to do better and a desire not to, not to paint everyone with such a broad brush, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make that conscious realization that every human being has their own story mm-hmm. and that I should be able to connect with that story on some, if not many levels, therefore making it very difficult for me to keep thinking is keep thinking of that person as an other mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, a human right. being that I may not agree with and may, I may not have the same values with whatever, but that, that I can empathize with that I can sympathize with, that I can have a conversation with, if not relationship with, mm-hmm. and try to understand them as a as a person rather than as some sort of caricature. Right. Right? Yet I it's a struggle to try to move out of this polarized mindset yeah. of this place of just anger, anger, anger all the time and rage because of it and thinking of the people that think differently as, you know, less than. Right. Uh, that's not going to get us anywhere as a, as a culture, as a country, as people. And it's not going to get me anywhere as a human being trying to see everyone that I encounter with, whether they look like me, act like me, think like me, as a human being worthy of my care and my, my concern. Because we're all in this together. We all have to be in this together, whether or not we're all like-minded or like-hearted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's a huge challenge. I mean, I grew up you know, with a lot of these Judeo-Christian ethics, mm-hmm. and, and I'm trying to love one another, in a sense, as best as I can. And that's a huge challenge for me these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I've had to disconnect from the news a little bit just because it's so yeah. upsetting. And and I just reached a point where I realized this isn't serving any purpose. You know, just right. watching the news and getting upset yeah. <laughs> at the latest, you know, outrage or whatever. Um, but at, at some point, you know, again, I think there's a balance there of how do you engage and how do you advocate for, you know, what you want to see happening in the world and in a country. Yeah. But at the same time, realizing there are other people that view it differently that have reasons for that. Right. And taking that into account and trying to understand that point of view without letting go of, you know, what's important to you. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's going to be a lifelong battle because yeah. I don't think this is going to get resolved in my lifetime. You know, yeah. it just seems like we are so polarized. Um, you and I have had conversations about relatively recent interactions we've had with friends of ours who who are thinking differently than we are these days and who makes it hard to have that kind of interaction and and maintain the kind of relationship that we've had with them in the past yeah it's and i think that you know is bound up in all this for sure i mean we we've talked about 
I know I've had a couple of run-ins with people that I hadn't seen for a few years, you know, that are, you know, people from Marin County that, that I would have thought maybe thought differently that, mm-hmm. um, I'll just say voted for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was a little shocked and, but at the same time it made me think, well, wait a second, you know, if so-and-so voted for Trump, you know, and you're shocked by that, what, what what's going on here? What am I missing? Right. You know, I don't think I'm missing that I, you know, agree with it <laughs> to that extent, but that, you know, there's something that people are feeling that's pushing them to, you know, take this kind of a measure. Right. And, you know, and I talked with those individuals and, you know, I think went away maybe with a little understanding, not a lot more of what went into that, their thinking. Um, it wasn't completely satisfying, but I think it was good that it sort of brought me up short to say, well, wait a second. You know, there are people that you have known in your past quite well and, and been friends with and admired and yeah. that are viewing this differently, um, or at least did view it differently in the beginning. Um, and it would be easy to just dismiss them out of hand. Yeah, and, yeah, and I didn't feel... And reject them and, you know, right. recategorize them in your mind right? as someone... Yeah, write them off, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, um, you know, and it's, it's tempting to do that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> But I, you know, I don't know that that solves anything or that helps yeah. anything. Um, yeah. And again, you see that in, I think, going back to the film, that these characters that did horrible things, they, the film also showed sort of that human side of mm. there was another side to them and there were reasons they were doing what they were doing. And maybe there were limitations that they were having to deal with mm-hmm. based on how they were brought up or the you know kind of life they had led. Mm-hmm. Um and again, that doesn't necessarily excuse certain behaviors or whatever. You still have to right. hold people accountable, but but it gives you context. It gives you, yeah, and it gives you maybe a little more empathy for yeah. why they did some of the things that they did, and that there may be, to a degree, they're doing the best they can with what they have, and you know, trying to rise above it, and yeah. maybe not always succeeding. But, um, yeah. So yeah, there there was definitely all of that kind of mixed in as well. I think. Yeah. Well. And if, if the film is a microcosm of, of life or a reflection of it, I guess, maybe there's, you know, more to be encouraged about in our particular real life culture, society situations, our interactions with friends that we find it difficult to agree with, but are trying desperately to continue to understand and, and recognize the value of them as people. You know, and I hope in our microcosms of those kinds of relationships and even, you know, interactions with people that we don't have a relationship with, you know, they're strangers or whatever, people we meet anew, we have a measure of openness and, and a willingness to keep those things in mind mm-hmm. and uh, and remember that everybody comes to, to life through their own set of lenses. Yeah, and I certainly, you know, when I graduated from college, you know, in my 20, I, I viewed the world very differently because I, you know, I had yeah. grown up a certain way and, yeah, you know, I, that's evolved over time, uh, very much so. Yeah. You know, I, a lot of my opinions and beliefs have changed dramatically over the years, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think everybody's a product of sort of the experiences you've had and, mm-hmm. and I've been fortunate enough to have some different experiences maybe than yeah. some of the people I grew up with. Yeah. And not to say that, that makes, you know, all, well, I'm right and they're wrong, but right. um, uh, it's just different. It's a different, you know, set of people that I've, you know, shared my life with and experiences I've had and, you know, sort of cultures I've been exposed to and things. That, yeah. Um, 
that can't help but change how I view things over time. Right. And rightly so, right? Yeah. Which, it feels right to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for the conversation. I, yeah, I very much appreciate me. it. Yeah, my pleasure. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode of Cinesoul, and we'll see you again next time. Hey, folks, if you want to learn more about Cinesoul, you can check out our website at cinesoul.com. That's C-I-N-E-S-O-U-L.com. You can leave us your comments or questions and interact with us that way if you like. This episode was co-produced and edited by Ben Helms, who also wrote and produced our theme. Thanks, Ben. Cinesoul is hosted by the Overthink Podcast Network, which publishes a multitude of podcasts that dive deep into arts, media, and culture. You should really check them out. They've got a lot of great stuff there. You can find The Overthink on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can learn more about them at theoverthinkpod.com. That's overthinkpod.com. Hey, thanks again for listening, folks, and see you next time.